good morrow, fair listener, brackets open, zzz, brackets closed, and welcome to volume two, episode 11, that's right, the November edition of Weekend at Crombies, and for this edition, we'll be discussing Harry and the Hendersons. Welcome back, dear listener, to Volume 2, Episode 11 of Weekend at Crombie's. My name is Hugh, and we both have to stare at ourselves in the mirror every morning and keep repeating, I'm not a fool, I am not a fool. And my name is uh, Dr James Evans Esquire, and I've got to ask you a question, Hugh. Have you ever seen a baby pigeon? No. Mm, but I think they exist. Yes, they're called eggs. <laughs> What is it we're talking about today, Hugh? What's this episode of Weekend at Crombie's going to be about? I'm glad I you hear, asked. I'm I gl- hear all our listeners ask. I'm glad you are, unless they didn't listen to the first part of <laughs> in your an opening announcement. I'm glad you asked I'm me. I'm presuming they listened to the last podcast where we announced what we'd be listening to, in which case the question would have been futile because they'd already have known. Indeed, but presuming they are brand new listeners, welcome, yep. or regular listeners, welcome back. We are going to be talking about Harry and the Hendersons, slash Bigfoot and the Hendersons, <laughs> if you watch the rebranded version. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Spoiler alert, uh, Harry is a Bigfoot. Yes, I actually, I, I know this film as Bigfoot and the Hendersons. As do I, yes, because it yeah. must have just switched when it came to the UK. Yeah, it must have done, yeah. But without further ado, let's jump into it. Harry and the Hendersons. So we uh, we begin um, in the was it the, uh, the mountains of northwest America. Yes. Um, very atmospheric because we have we have two POVs of, of people or things walking through the forest with a voiceover of, uh, of um, John Lithgow. We should mention this, the star of the show is uh, podcast favourite John Lithgow. Yeah, Weekend um, at Crombie's favourite, John Lithgow. Um, and he arrives uh, with a screaming child and uh, and a dead rabbit in his hands, <laughs> for he is the, the patrimilias of a, fa- of a family. Um, oh, that's very... a good phrase. Yeah, I love that phrase. <laughs> uh, it's great, that is. That's cracking. That's like, that's typical late 80s um, male character, that is, Peter Familias, yeah. He's very much, he has a he has a doting wife, he has a, um, a teenage daughter and a scrappy young kid, and they're all out on a, an outdoors holiday, um, in which his, his son, who's got to be, what, eight, has been given a gun uh, and has shot his first rabbit with it. Um, so they were um, well. He's very happy about it. The kid is ecstatic because um, he's he's sort of <laughs> making comments about it's my first blood. Um, the the teenage daughter is predictably uh, disgusted by it. Um, the John Lithgow is is uh, who's George Henderson. These are the Hendersons. Is um, yeah. is very happy that his son has made his first kill. And the mother is kind of oh let's just go home. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. You said that we'd go home this morning. Why are we still here yeah, killing animals? Yeah, they, they they pretty much wrap up who the characters are very in that first opening scene. They uh, so who have we got? We've got we've got George Henderson, George John Henderson. Lithgow. We've got Nancy Henderson, which yeah. is George's wife, Melin- played by Melinda Dillon. All right. Sarah Henderson, the daughter, and Ernie Henderson, the son. Young Ernie with uh, his, Young Ernie with his enormous glasses and uh, and bucktooth grin. Yeah. Um, so off they go. They they drive home uh, from the mountains. They live in Seattle, and he, George is racing home um, because he knows he's at the back of his hand. He doesn't have to swerve or avoid things. Uh, but uh, also, even... in 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 a car that is so ubiquitous, 
Um, it's in, the station wagon. It's the, it's the a, family wood panel yeah. station wagon. You've seen any any American film from the late 80s, that car is in it. Yes, um, as it is in here. Um, it's also yeah. enormous on the inside. They're no one's wearing seatbelts. It's all just basically wandering yeah. around the inside like it's an airplane <laughs> cabin. It's huge. Yeah. Um, but they, they race they race home and uh, even though he, he doesn't he knows the these rules at the back of his hand and uh, he doesn't need to you know steer or look or even have the sun in his eyes. Um, <laughs> the predictable happens and uh, the family Henderson smacks into some enormous hairy creature immediately and, uh, and knocks it over. Um, uh, they so George goes out to investigate and assumes it's some kind of bear or gorilla. <laughs> And it turns yeah. out it is not a bear or gorilla. It has an opposable thumb, which which sets him off, thinking, "Oh my goodness." Do um, gorillas not have those then? Opposable thumbs. Hmm. I think, and Dave well, Atten would back me up on this. They don't. Oh, okay. Or they. Well, do. you learn something new every day, don't you? <laughs> or they do. <laughs> well, obviously, they either do or they don't. They do. Um, it's, 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 or don't. Um, but I remember David Attenborough making a, a very nice piece of camera about opposable thumbs whilst a bunch of gorillas groomed him. And, well, I do remember that. Oh, but like in the good way, they groomed him. They weren't, gro- <laughs> they weren't grooming him online. <laughs> a gorilla wasn't catfishing David Attenborough. They were kind of combing his hair, basically. They were combing his hair, and he wanted to make a speech about opposable thumbs, and now I've forgotten what it was. I'm going to go with... Human beings have opposable thumbs. Gorillas do not. All right, okay. Um, but I may be wrong. This is not the uh, the, na- the weekend at nature Crombies. This is weekend <laughs> na- at movies. Nature Crombies. at Crombies. Weekend ne- the nature weekend at Crombies. <laughs> no, it isn't. Thank God it isn't either. That, that's our spin-off when we discuss opposable thumbs on gorillas. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a very short podcast. which lasts for two minutes. And we go. I checked that out. It was wrong. In fact, we've already done it. We have. It's covered. Uh, there you go, two podcasts for one. But anyway, he finds an opposable thumb and uh, and enormous feet on this uh, this creature, which he realises is not any kind of species he's seen before. It must be a gasp, Bigfoot. Um, so he he thinks he's killed it. Um, isn't too broken up by the fact he's killed it because he's mostly seeing dollar signs, thinking this is worth a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and so they drag it on top of the station wagon and they set off home again. Um, no worse for the web from a busted headlight. Uh, immediately, Bigfoot wakes up and, <laughs> on top of the car. On top of the car, and growls down at the windscreen in quite a decent jump scare, um, which causes him to put on the brakes and send Bigfoot catapulting off the car and into another heap. Um, this apparently convinces John Lithgow that he's dead again, even though hitting him wasn't enough. <laughs> um, just falling off the car is enough to kill him because he, he pops off again with his rifle in his hand to investigate the body. Um, and he gives it a couple of pokes and said, it's not breathing, it's definitely dead. Um, there was some nice business with his wife uh, zooming the window up and down saying, yeah. is it dead? <laughs> yes, what does he say? It's, it's, got, it's, got, it's not breathing, it's, got, it's cold and it's got no pulse. It's cold I'm as pretty a sure it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> She's <laughs> having the whole conversation and she winds the windows up and down like, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. You were pretty sure before. But anyway, so um, after having expired his second life, Bigfoot is once again hauled on top of the car and they drive home. And, uh, so they, it's now late at night, so they park up and all go to bed. Um, whereupon, surprise, surprise, Bigfoot is not dead because they wake up in the wee hours to find this, again, enormous Sasquatch um, eating out of their fridge, which he's tipped mm. over. Um, to which point fun and games begin. Uh, George is terrified by the Sasquatch, and even the Sasquatch has him pinned up against the wall. And the family come in, um, and Ernie's overjoyed. He thinks this is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> despite the fact... I'd say none of them are none of them are like 
as scared as I would be. No, it's played for, I would call, played for tension, but not for horror. They, they, yes, they I do suppose, the whole yes, kind of, right. yeah. I mean, Bigfoot kind of growls at them, although you quickly mm. learn that Bigfoot is basically copying everything they do. So when they scream in terror, he screams back at them. Um, <laughs> yeah. It looks like he's about to eat them. Uh, the, the young daughter is upset because Bigfoot's eaten her corsage, um, and she yeah. gives him a good scolding. Um, but generally that, the family spend the time running in and out of the house, depending on where um, Bigfoot is. And, uh, but at which point, you know, he's also causing incredible damage to the house as well. You know, he's he's um, he's busting through walls. He's yeah, damaging the architrave of doors. There's some fun to be had with him. He, he basically yeah. makes the space zone. He, he, he can't get through the door, so he pushes the frame upwards. He spots a, a mounted deer head on the wall and punches the wall to find where the deer's bottom has gone. Yeah. And this kind of business. But the real turning point comes when George um, gets his rifle and climbs a ladder to, to finally make away with the creature. And as he's lined up for a perfect headshot, looks into his eyes and realises there's a person behind all this and he can't do it. Um, and that person is Kevin Peter Hall. Kevin Peter Hall. Now, I'm going to make my claim. We're gonna, we, yeah, go on. I knew it was Kevin Peter Hall without reading the credits or anything, simply by his gait. Well, I knew it was because I just knew. You just is knew. that possible? <laughs> Well, just I knew it had I, to be a giant actor. I, I knew it anyway because he's obviously the guy that played the predator. That's what, that's the gate I knew. We were stalking through the forest. Yeah. I thought I've seen that walk before. Yeah, yeah. So he is the predator. Yeah. So Kevin Peter Hall is obviously a monolithic actor who he'd, um, <laughs> he's the guy you went to for giant costumes back in the day. Um, yeah, exactly. Much like the, who's the really skinny guy that does Guillermo del Toro stuff now? Oh yeah, Brad Jones. Brad Jones. Brad, yeah, Brad Jones. Yeah, Brad exactly. Jones is to kind of yeah creepy thin guys now. Kevin Peter Hall was to giants well, then. Yeah, Doug Bradley in the kind of Hellraiser kind of time when he's playing Pinhead. You know, it's just like this one actor who yeah. isn't in anything else other than just kind of like wears lots of makeup. Yeah, the makeup guy. The makeup guy. Uh, was it Jason Fleming had a kind of a bit of a prosthetic phase as well? Yeah, in um, The he League did, of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He did Mr. Well, Hyde, he was in X-Men yeah. um, First Class in the... Uh, but I digress. Yeah, this isn't about those films. It's not about those films. This is about uh, Big Harry and the Hendersons. So, where were we? So, uh, yes, he's uh, he's now seen Bigfoot, uh, which he now relates to as a person. Uh, so, basically, the, their next step is to try and placate him in some way. Um, but before they can do that, the phone rings and it's Irene! <laughs> That's a you know, that is not a bad impression. It wasn't bad, um, but it, it's so well delivered. Um, again... Yeah. You can say that this this film is fairly light on the peril because one of the biggest dangers is that Irene is coming over to yeah, turn the their Jack Russell, uh, which she's been babysitting. Um, so they have to scurry Irene around. Irene is terrifying. Though. <laughs> she is. She was the mother in the big big fat Greek wedding. Um, which oh, is she? Yeah, which which oh, kind okay. of put, gives you a nice pen portrait of who Irene is. Um, yeah, yeah. And I will say they they've kind of accepted that Bigfoot is not dangerous, but they mm. haven't fully accepted that he's not you know really dangerous. You know, he's, I think he's kind of benign, but not sure about him. On this base of information, they lure him into the basement with their young son and shut the door. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So this is the thing that they yeah they lure him there with yeah with it, with their son in yeah. in the basement. So they, what they, is yeah, going on? They, there? they need to get Bigfoot out of the way, so they send him to the basement. But they send the son to take him there and lock the door, and they think, well, I'm sure he won't kill and eat him because we've we've had a moment. Um, so because he's been in the house for at least eight minutes yeah. and he's not killed anyone yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's been about eight minutes. It really has, yeah. Um, and they, they've they've developed the bonds of trust. So yeah. So um. So they, they, then fun and games continue as Irene is basically wanting to. Yeah. They 
Bigfoot is, is stomping around downstairs. There's one particularly good moment when Bigfoot pushes up against the floor yeah. that, uh, that <laughs> yeah. John Lithgow, who is very tall, is standing on. And sort mm. of to mask the fact that he is going up and down, he starts doing exercises <laughs> to bend his knees so he remains the same height. Yeah. And it's quite a good bit of physical it's, comedy. It's quite, it, is quite, it is good, yeah. Um, and all the same time, again, the, the mother is throwing food down the garbage chute to duplicate <laughs> Harry and trying to hide his enormous paw as it comes out. Um, so Irene is basically sent away thinking they're all weird because he also sees the enormous fridge that's been tipped over and food everywhere and the smell yeah. of, of Bigfoot. And uh, we decided to defrost our fridge. <laughs> So they, they scurry Irene off with their best wishes, um, and at which point they, they sit down to work out what they're meant to do about Harry. And I think it's this stage we jump cut back to the point when Harry was struck in the forest, uh, because a, uh, a, yeah. a, 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 a man in shadows wearing a beret and carrying a rifle scurries through the undergrowth. Um, it's not Poirot, is it? It's not Poirot. <laughs> well, we'll save the surprise. It is, uh, it, it, he kind of he sees the footprints. He, he he finds the Bigfoot hair. He's tasting the hair to make sure he's on the right track. He's a deadly killer, and this is none other than Jacques Lefleur, played by David Suchet. <laughs> I can't believe yeah, David Suchet in his one Hollywood role. Two Hollywood roles. He Has he got two? In, he was in The Perfect Murder, not as a Frenchman. He played uh-huh. a, you think he played a Turkish gentleman then. Um, well, of course, we have to remind ourselves that Poirot is, in fact, Belgian. Hence, the accent is different, of course. Because, mm. Of course. Uh, well, David Suchet wouldn't allow such inaccuracies to come into his so, method acting. Yeah. So this is David Suchet playing a, a dedicated hunter of Bigfoots, <laughs> uh, Jacques Lefleur, uh, with, with a, you know, a marvellous uh, <laughs> comedy French accent. Um <laughs> Uh, and Jacques Lefleur has been, you know, been tracking Bigfoot for 20 years uh, and has a kind of association with a, a professor. What's the professor? Yeah. This, um, Wallace Wrightwood. Wallace Wrightwood. He, he kind of runs a Bigfoot souvenir store, but they... they played by Donamici as well. Played who's, by Donamici. Uh, um, I think has the potential to be a uh, a Weekend at Crombie's favourite in films like Cocoon and Batteries Not Included and stuff like that. Yes. Is he in Batteries Not Included? He is, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, in Trading Places. Good grief. Is yes, he in Trading Places? He's in trading places, yeah. Was he in Randolph or the other one? Yeah, because they're both in trading places are in Cocoon, both of them. Uh, Um, Yeah, anyway. This isn't about trading places. It isn't. (laughs) Our digressions perhaps say a lot about the film that we were watching. (laughs) So anyway, he's he's Professor Professor Walton. what, uh, Wallace, Wallace Wrightwood. Wrightwood that's Come it. on, you I expect better I'm, research. I'm so you. sorry. Uh, Professor Wallace Wrightwood um, runs a kind of a Bigfoot souvenir store. I know Jacques Lefleur from old. Um, Wallace has kind of given up on the uh, on the the idea that they exist, but uh, but Jacques Lefleur knows he has seen one, and now he has the the battered license plate of the Henderson, so he's going to hunt him down. Um, so we cut back to. Um, I still can't believe David Suchet's in it. <laughs> If there are any, if there are any of our American friends listening, um, and you don't know who David Suchet is, I would recommend that you turn your television over to ITV3 at any point in the day, <laughs> and you will watch him in Poirot. Do you know that David Suchet was also in a Peter Ustinov Poirot as Chief Inspector Jap? <laughs> was he? Yeah, it's like going down the rabbit hole. This is. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, a day has passed with uh, the Hendersons, and uh, now George has decided he's not going to kill um, Bigfoot. He is going, I should say, he's, um, he's about to be called Harry. They give him this name, Harry, um, almost by chance. They, they refer to it as Goodbye, My Hairy Friend, and he growls, and they get in front of They think, oh, his name's Harry then. So um, George has decided he's going to teach Harry tricks, and that's how he's going to get on The Tonight Show and win fame and fortune. Um, 
and basically he thinks he's taught Harry to sit by feeding him sugar cubes. Um, Harry's method of sitting is to jump really high in the air and crush whatever he lands on. (laughs) But there is a moment after the third time this trick has gone horribly wrong, when Harry just looks up at George with this expression like, yeah, I was messing with you the whole time. (laughs) Which I thought was quite a nice character touch. Um, But the whole family think he's mad and think he's got to go home. In fact, the mother is is reiterating this. She's she's consistently basically saying the right thing all the time. (laughs) Like, we can't keep a big but he needs to go home. Um, and which point then so uh, George then goes off and buys a lot of food to lure Harry back into their, their car so he can uh, he can drive him away and I will say it's the least appetising I've ever seen food portrayed because <laughs> it's all this it's all this fast food stuff and George basically oh like, it's horrible he's, he's, he's eating a bit of it like he's giving him a fillet of fish burger and he needs yeah. a bite up he's got this grease dripping down his chin when he then lobs onto the back seat and then he's got all these, these fries and he's going whoa fries extra thick and throws it in and then he lobs a milkshake after I'm thinking I would that's basically a dumpster I wouldn't walk in after that yeah, no. hang on a minute though in, in more shocking news uh, Hugh fillet o fish fillet o fish with tartar <laughs> No, in America it's fillet. Is it in America? Dead no offence to all our American friends that might be listening, but it's fillet in America. Fillet of fish. Oh, there we go. It's like fillet mignon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Then the standing, he throws all the junk food in the back seat, and Harry goes into it. And then um, little Ernie starts crying because Harry's going away. At which point George goes over and and tells Ernie, you know, we can't keep him. He's you know he's not he's not a wild he's not a pet. We need to free him. This for some reason causes Harry to run away. I don't quite understand why. No, it doesn't seem to. It's not well explained. No, Harry Harry sees George having a heart to heart with his son, unless Harry made a huge leap of imagination and thought George was saying, I'm taking him out of the woods and shooting him, and that's why you're crying, young Ernie. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't think Harry would have gone to. Um, well, but in, in the same way, it's quite a, a, um, there's a bit of a leap of faith, and it's not really very well explained why the Hendersons aren't profoundly terrified all the time. <laughs> so it's not so much of a leap of faith to suggest that something weird would happen and he'd just run off anyway. Yeah, but um, but nonetheless, run off he does. So just about to take him back, Harry runs off and basically spends the middle third of the film not with the Hendersons, but basically again, either just hiding out in inner city Seattle. Yep. There's a few bits of, you know, um, fish-out-of-water gags where he sees... Uh, you know, he sees a a a, a, bear, a a chicken being loaded into a boiling pot, and then turns around and sees oh, yeah. uh, a, a fat man go, yeah. going into a, a hot tub, and makes the connection that clearly chickens and people are both meals in this world. Mm. Um, and what else is there? There's um. So Harry's on the run, and people start to see him. And again, actually, there's one point when an old old lady, in fact, all women in this movie. I think wear curlers before going to bed. There's, there's not a single woman after the sun has gone down without curlers in her hair. Um, and so I know it's like it's like Lancashire in the 1920s, isn't it? <laughs> and again, a woman sees Harry, thinks he is his big toes of mouse and whacks it, and then finds Harry's there screaming at her. Um, and Harry puts on top of the car, and this is a re- recurring theme with it. So you can only assume Harry thinks the top of the car is where you put people when they've had a turn. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's not the first or the last time he puts someone on top of a car when they've passed out. So that, that, that's which is quite, quite a nice little kind of um, it's a nice that's a nice thing in the film actually. Isn't yeah. it? quite the, a subtle thing. Yeah, the film has a few of these things. Like it's yeah. quite well played. Um, yeah. But either way, so Bigfoot mania is now kicking off because he's starting yeah. to be sighted all over town. And this is when we first see uh, George's dad, played by M. Emmett Walsh, um, yeah. who <laughs> basically plays a. Uh, 
a, a gun nut so, <laughs> uh, who doesn't care about killing big feet so he's, he's well cast um, yeah also also i've never seen him so clean shaven before <laughs> <laughs> You're right. He's normally sporting a five o'clock shadow, but um, <laughs> so he he's of a mind. Let's you know, let's scare everyone about Bigfoot. Can you draw me a big scary Bigfoot um, so we can sell more guns? And, and well, but this is also the first point at which we we realise that um, uh, George Henderson is actually quite a good artist. I yes. Mean, you know, it's like it up until the point where we see him drawing um, Harry yeah. in in a kind of like you know wonderfully genteel manner. Up until that point. As you say, he's been the paterfamilias of the family, wanting his son to shoot lots of animals. All of a sudden, a bit of a tender side. I'll tell you this, though. He did mention drawings at the very beginning. He, did uh, he you know, now? They're driving back in the car, and he says, Ernie, oh, he you, did, yeah. don't, don't mention yeah. my drawings. So that's a little yeah. hint towards it. But uh, you're yeah, right. It is. And in fact, I think you're right. He is he's very much you know, the, the, the man with the gun, the father in charge. And actually, it's not until you see Emmett Walsh realizing oh he's just kind of that's the how he was raised because he does he does complain when he's drawing harry that his dad never cared about him drawing in the first place he asked for for paints when he was a kid and he got a bb gun and yeah i'd also want to know what the milkman looks like because <laughs> i'm sorry mm walsh and john lithgow are not two peas in a pod <laughs> <laughs> they really aren't no <laughs> maybe he has a very tall mother <laughs> yeah like John Lithgow would have to be equidistant between the two. The mum would be to be about 12 foot tall. You mean like a Bigfoot? Maybe. Ooh, plot twist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's a film I think you might find on the darker edges of the internet. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Um... <laughs> So yeah, so he, George has been asked to draw a scary Bigfoot. In the end, he draws a gentle one, and his dad graffitis it, turning it into a scary one anyway. Tells him, tells him, I should have just got a, a proper artist. Yeah, um, and George gets so angry at all this he quits. Um, but he runs off to the latest sighting, and here's here's an interesting one, basically, because this this kicks off the the final act of the plot is um. There's a cyclist who's portrayed as a, a bit of a jerk because he's a cyclist. Why wouldn't he? Of course, he? yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's... Why on earth would you cycle when you can go in a car or walk? I know he's a scrawny, rat-faced man with a little moustache, and he's in the full cycling gear, and he's clearly, you know, very proud of his ten-speed. <laughs> so he's basically making up a story about how Harry attacked him. Um, at which point George bursts through the, uh, the thing and basically yells at him um, in a very good interrogation technique. Just yells the truth, as in you, you, you've just fell over your bicycle and scared Harry in you. That's the truth. That's the truth. And the man just immediately caves going yes so yeah. that's consistent what happens next though is george it's such a comic flair turns to the audience and flings his hand up as in ta-da so he's not like de desperately scared or trying to protect harry's safety reputation it's like i was right it was such an odd acting choice i had to mention that it's like, but that's uh, but then he's asked what's your name and he refused to give his full name so you get like him saying george hen george hen george hen many george many hen. times so the, the whole world's looking for this george hen um <laughs> But this gets him on TV, which then gets Harry to spot the TVs in the shop, and um, George then decides to make a big effort to find Harry. He's been driving around occasionally to track him down, um, and the family's been a bit mournful, but they haven't really made a big push to find Harry yet. None of them have, except yeah. George. Yeah, um, George, well, there's a point when uh, yeah the, the little boy lets the, the Jack Russell go free as well, because he's in a kind of, all animals must be free kick. Yeah. And the animal comes back and he goes, Mum, he's back, and the mum jumps up thinking, oh, he's, Harry's back, and that's just a scrawny dog, so yeah, he's a bit disappointed about that. <laughs> She'd actually know the dog had been released in fairness, that was the kid taking his own initiative. <laughs> it's like he's going to release the goldfish next. No, because Harry's already eaten him. Oh yeah, Harry, the incredible vegetarian, and you know, yeah, exactly. only eats fish. Doesn't extend to goldfish. Yeah, so he doesn't extend to only only things with uh, with fur are, are sacred. Fish are fair game. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, so George. But there's thinks... loads of fish kind of walking around the wilds of Northwest America, isn't there? <laughs> for him to eat. Well, be, you know, there'd be salmon in the river, wouldn't there? I suppose there would be. There would be. Don't, yeah, that, that's fair enough. If he didn't know that fish are creatures, then he probably was happy to eat them. I will say that Harry portrays a very low <laughs> If he didn't know that fish were creatures, I'm not surprised he ate them. Well, yeah, he that's, doesn't. That's, know, a, he, that's he, a sentence that you've just said. <laughs> because he doesn't know that they're they're, they're living creatures for him. They just like floating bits of carrot. Well, I suppose, and that's in many ways what fish are. Crunchy carrot. <laughs> Floaty carrots. Floaty carrots. If you've, if you've seen the uh, the um, the hidden camera gag where you you get a fish tank and put a, a carrot piece of goldfish in it, and you're, you're <laughs> no. just sitting casually, they did just like an American diner. They got a goldfish tank with a goldfish shaped bit of carrot in there, and the, you know the the the, the, the Jeremy Beetle type guy was sitting there, and someone else would come down have a coffee, and all of a sudden he just reach in, grab it, stuff it in his mouth, and chomp it away, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which would uh, give you a, a bit of a turn. That is brilliant. Yeah, I think actually I've got my next New Year's Eve yeah, gag lined up. Do that work. Tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it'd be worth the outlay on the bowl and and the carrot. Well, you've got to play the long con. Bring the bowl in with a real fish in it. Keep it there yeah, for a couple of months. Yeah, Tell about true. your fish, nurse it, and then you've replaced the fish with a carrot. One day, just go, I'm really hungry. Grab it, munch. <laughs> Make sure you've you got to give it a couple of weeks, haven't you? Make sure you do it when your line manager's present. So yeah. just... Well, no, but I'll have to announce that I've bought a goldfish to the office. So I have to walk in, hey, everybody, this is... George, uh, the, the office goldfish, just, you know, treat him well, he's fine, he's quiet, he'll be in the corner, don't worry about it. Two weeks later, when there's a team meeting, hey guys, you know what, look at this, <laughs> just going to eat George, ah, George! <laughs> then I'll, like, bring George out of my pocket, and of course he's dead, because <laughs> he can't breathe out of water. <laughs> but what, I'd be like, oh, you crazy guy, you've eaten George, oh, it's a carrot, but where's George? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He's in the bin. <laughs> uh, it's it's not really that funny, is it? <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> so Harry has now been discovered by George. Uh, they they climb in they climb not the fish they climb in, they climb into a, a garbage truck, um, where pursued hotly by uh, by uh, Jacques Lefleur. Um, has, Jacques Lefleur has a bit of a tussle in in the garbage truck with Harry, but eventually managed to kick him out and they get home safely. Um, at which point, uh, ha- George has already had a conversation with uh, so Wall- Dr. Wallace Wrightwood. Um, who pretends not to be Dr. Wallace Whitewood. There's a whole kind of business saying, Whitewood's an old man. He's not here right now. (laughs) He was indeed Whitewood. He just wanted to sell him a Bigfoot lamp. Um, But then Whitewood, I think, sees George Hen, George Hen, George Hen on television and comes to their house um, so he can... uh... He's actually quite a funny dinner guest. (laughs) He is, because he says something like... um, Doesn't he say, like... uh, You know, because they're... That he, they've invited him round. He's basically sat there and gone, you know, thank you very much for inviting me round. Look, I've got to tell you something before it's, it's too very, late. Yeah, but it's a very dignified dinner. Like they they dress him up in a tie. Yeah. They serve him red wine. Yeah. They they were going to have a roast beef. Um, although the mother has a lot of laughing out loud, just saying, "Where's the where's the roast beef?" She goes, "The roast beef is currently resting in an unmarked grave outside the house." <laughs> Yeah. The, the gag where they, they had to bury all their all their animal heads and all their yeah. mink stoles and all their, their yeah. joints of beef to appease Harry. Um, 
And, uh, but then he starts he starts a little speech about saying don't get involved in trying to find uh, yeah. Bigfoot because it will ruin your life. And he says something like, you know, thank you very much. We're sitting here, you know, we're enjoying our broccoli or whatever it is. I know. <laughs> it's quite really. It's a really funny scene. That was that's probably the one of two scenes in the film where I burst out laughing because it's just so throwaway. Yeah, it's done really nicely. Yeah. Um. So yes, he's a. <laughs> He has, this, he has a very long after that is a long thing of saying there is no Bigfoot there is yeah. no and for about five it minutes, up this Harry, Harry's it? wandering behind him bit by bit and then he sees Harry and uh, he's overjoyed with him so uh, he decides he must get Harry back safely but we must hurry Lafleur is on our tail yes. um, I will say another really funny scene is, is Jacques Lafleur who we must remember now is stinking of garbage is pacing around the police cell because he's been captured by the police for being a nutter with a gun running around the streets. Uh, so he's in the holding cell with all the other Bigfoot hunters and as he paces round and round the cell the entire contents of the other cell move to the other side and then move to the other side because he smells yeah, so badly yeah. it's never made real comment of they're just avoiding him as he paces uh, frantically so that was quite a nice sight gag but anyway he's got himself out now and he's in pursuit so there's a, a final chase down the, the freeway of, uh, of uh, Oregon I guess to get into the forest um, at which point, again, the, one of the, I guess, dullest obstacles they can face, a very big traffic jam. Because <laughs> basically the, the, the Hendersons and Harry and, uh, and Wallace are all in, um, all in one, his, his truck. And uh, Jacques Lefleur is in the station wagon about, you know, 10 cars behind them. And they're all stuck. Uh, so then Harry, and this, I'm not sure how it works. Having previously seen that people get out of the way for a police car, Harry leans out of his head and makes a sort of siren noise. <laughs> Yeah. Which it's might... not it's not that it's not even that impressive. No, so a, a battered truck with a large hairy head sticking out the side, making a kind of siren noise, convinces enough drivers it's a police <laughs> car. That they and it's literally it's literally like whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> It would be literally like if I leaned out of the car and went whoa, whoa. I don't think <laughs> it would move me. Everyone's, everyone's pulling over. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what? I'll try that tomorrow at work. But it works, and work. they're off the freeway, and they get free and clear. Do you know what? I think that was meant to be their ET moment. I think they literally yeah. thought, yeah. "Where's do the yeah. bit with the bicycles?" And ET is something magical. What could Harry do to get them out of the jam? Um, <laughs> but they then they start running off in the forest. Um, to which they have uh, their their first goodbye with Harry when John Lithgow oh, tells him to go. Yeah, first of many goodbyes. First of many goodbyes. Basically, they tell, they've got to tell Harry to go, and they know that Jack is is coming up behind them, so he's got to get going. Um, so they go from goodbye, goodbye. John Lithgow then pretends to be angry uh, in a very angry way. Yeah, es- it escalates quickly. Oh, yes, he slaps Harry across the face at one point. Yeah. Oh, hey, calm it's, down. It's really quiet. There's no need for that. There's no need for it. No, he, he goes, we don't want you here. We don't want you here. Get out, can't you see? We don't want you. And he turns around, <laughs> choked up with emotions. He goes, goodbye, my friend. Oh, um, I didn't realise that John Lithgow was a 19th century Victorian gentleman. <laughs> That was how he was playing it. Yeah, but then I suppose he's doing that because he knows that Jack Le, uh, Jacques Lefleur, or Jack the Flower, as I'm going to call him from now, <laughs> is like close behind him, and he wants him, he wants um, Harry to, you know, go into the forest, get lost, go into the forest, don't stay here and hug. Yeah, yeah, that's that, why that, he's doing that makes it. Sense. It just seemed a bit extreme. It did, yeah. Um, especially as Harry seems very sensible of the fact they are being pursued, or need to make haste because he's he's yeah. been with them so far. Um, yeah. It's only at the very last one he decides not to leave. But anyway, so he Harry disappears. Um, but then, of course, they realise that he's leaving enormous Bigfoot tracks. So they uh, take all the uh, the Bigfoot casts that belong to the souvenir shop that they've had in the van, and they all put on big feet and start making lots and lots of tracks all over the place to throw Jacques Lefleur off the scent. Um, 
At which point Harry, observing from a tree, realises that George wasn't really cross and he was saving his life. So all is forgiven in his mind. But then Jack Lefleur yeah. comes up. Does he actually shoot? He does has a few shots at Harry, doesn't he? Yes, he? but you know, they hit the um, the trees and you know they don't, they don't, they don't hit Harry, their mark. Oh, I remember what happens. The Jack Russell, little uh, Bob, let's call him, attacks, attacks yeah. Jack Lefleur, who flings him away and the dog is caught midair by Harry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like you know, in full Kevin Peter Hall, he dashes towards Jacques Lefleur and disarms him, um, and basically restrains him until um, Jacques Lefleur pulls off the uh, weekend at Crombie's patented mover of kicking him in the bollocks, <laughs> <laughs> which is enough to unman the Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, um, that's an old school weekend at Crombie's. That is absolutely. Any um, of our new listeners, um, I would recommend um, weekend at Crombie's season one episode one, three. Episode three. Yeah. Mm. For a four hour. A full exploration uh, of, uh, of genitalia yeah. kicking. Yeah, Tom Selleck get, uh, gets kicked in the bollocks for five minutes <laughs> and wins an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> something like that, anyway. Something like that. Um, but not, not uh, uh, you know, kicks notwithstanding. Um, okay. Jacques Lefleur is, is soon overpowered and once again brought to the roof of the station wagon because that's where you put people. Um, Yes. Uh, at which point the, 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 the Henderson's... I had realised this, but yeah, it's quite good. It was a wonderful touch. Um, it is, it is. And and again, so now um, now George is is you know telling Jack Lefleur, you know, you can't kill him, he's a person. And Jack Lefleur, not quite realising the gravity situation, goes, well, I'll just get free and hunt him again, I'll kill him. <laughs> George then starts to, to threaten Lefleur. And, well, uh, smashing his head on the car. Yeah, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. At which point he is stopped by Harry, gentle Harry. He said, no, 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 this is not right. Violence is not right. And he starts to stroke Lafleur's head like a dog, <laughs> uh, which I would have said was a, was a nice foreshadow because very early on when Harry meets the Jack Russell the first time, the Jack Russell is yapping away yeah, savagely. That's right. And they teach Harry, he can't just physically restrain him, he must stroke him and befriend him. So Harry treats the diminutive David Suchet like a yapping Jack Russell by stroking his head. They do do a quick cutaway to the Jack Russell, so we all remember the point, which I thought was unnecessary. But, uh, um, it, yeah. but I mean, not, we're not idiots, are we? Yeah, we're watching Harry and the Hendersons, for God's sake. Yeah, we're, yeah. We, we know what we're yeah. about. We're making, we're making a podcast about Harry and the Hendersons. We're not idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so then he strokes Lafleur on the head, and Lafleur comes around now to realise that Harry is indeed a person. Mm. Um and then deserving of being a person, at which point, you know, they have a proper goodbye with all Hendersons. They all start hugging each other and what have you. Um, and and they go, they go, but they, they keep hugging each other. And then they kind of hug each other again. And... Oh, it's a sad moment. Oof. And then, and then um, even, even the end, um, Jacques and uh, and Dr. Wallace, is, uh, they, 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 you know, have, they've reached a, a rapprochement now. They're, they're friends again. Yeah, they, uh, and they go, oh, what about Loch Ness? <laughs> Yeah. I did immediately think of Jacques Lefleur with a snorkel and a rifle swimming around Scotland, oh, no. hoping to bag himself a Nessie. But there you are. But it was the sequel that was never made, wasn't oh, it? They made a Loch Ness with um, Ted Danson. Oh, they did, yeah. They did. Oh man, I tell you what, there's a weekend at Crombie's episode in 2020, if ever I've heard. I remember the immortal line where he goes, "I have to see it before I can believe it," and mm. the little Scotch called, "No, you have to believe it before you can see it." <laughs> well, that's a little bit like the um, Harry and the Hendersons poster, isn't it? Because it says, "According to science, Bigfoot doesn't exist." Indeed. When you can't believe your eyes, trust your heart. Oh. <laughs> 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 You've taken from the original poster that just I had am. a pair of eyes and a rose. Yeah, yeah which um, is weird as well. Yeah, it's very Beauty and the Beast. Um, it is, yeah. 
which is a, a callback to um, actually, yeah, he basically eats the uh, Sarah. Sarah Henderson has very little to do other than just not be amused by Harry at all. Yeah. Uh, until the very end, when he's going, he gives her a million roses, which he's nicked from the neighbor's garden. Um, which, uh, which I think is quite funny because she's 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 sitting there going, "Oh, I should show these to Irene. Irene loves roses." <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, the, the subsequent poster when they recalled it, Bigfoot and the Hendersons, just showed Bigfoot hugging the Hendersons. Yes, yeah, so I do was, remember that. It was more like this is a family comedy, yeah. but. Uh, we've had a goodbyes and Bigfoot goes into the jungle and then all the jungle of the forest the forest is alive with more Bigfeet there's a whole family of Bigfeet it's quite clever actually because when you play that scene back again you can see them all standing there yeah but you don't see them when you're watching it for the first time practical effects it's It's really clever it was well Mm. done and then of course we are regaled by um, the title soundtrack um, Love Lives On by Joe Cocker. Indeed, now... Which now, is very strange. Just tell me, now, did, did Mrs. Dr. James Evans watch the, the, the end credits? No, uh, Mrs. Dr. James Evans did not watch the film well, at all. That's a shame, because the end credits are <laughs> literally the most 80s credits you can imagine, because <laughs> they, are totally they, they, they use the the, uh, the device that was like only ever seen in AHA's Take On Me, yes, where real footage yes. from the previous... So they they show the highlights of the previous film, um, and the footage... Yeah quickly devolves into pencil squiggles, kind of beige and sepia pencil squiggles, um, like the take on Miyaha until it ends in a, a sketch. So I think that was referring to George's sketching, but it, it's yeah, so it was, much like... It, it was so weird, though, because it's not like this film was released around the same time as Take On Me. No, but you've got to think, the producer somewhere was a big fan of that and thought... That the, the <laughs> yeah, pencil this is thing, like six or seven years later. Yeah, it's like, the pencil thing's going to be big, get me the guy that did the pencils, I need the pencils I mean, to work. It's well done. It's lovely, I thought it was brilliant, I think all credits should be like that. It is, it is, it, it is very 1980s, though. If, if, I mean, if the next it, Lars von Trier had... Even to where they're had, just replaying scenes from the film. I loved that bit, if the next Lars von Trier had pencil sketches <laughs> yeah. that became real, I'd watch it. But yeah, so, in a, in a pencil, uh, pencil sketches and like graphic graphic sexual violence <laughs> <laughs> well you've got a hard take that. on me then haven't you <laughs> but um and with that with the pencil sketches if you if you've still got it on on your hire get get mrs dr james evans to watch that i'm sure she'd appreciate the pencil sketches oh, i don't know if i do I, she probably will actually yeah or she'll probably go well if any if any of our listeners don't know uh, the good lady, Dr. James Evans, her indoors, is a very big AHA fan and um, has travelled around the globe to watch them. And as such, she will be aware of the pencil sketch video from but AHA's take But I'd say probably a very lukewarm Weekend at Crombies fan. If that. If that. <laughs> Actively <laughs> hostile when, Weekend at Crombies yeah, fan. When she realised that she would be watching a film with me that she would hate immediately and then would hear me somewhere in the house describing the film at incredible length and then have to listen to that said recording, I think she just thought, I'm not having any of this. <laughs> it just doesn't engage. Well, that's just her want. Indeed. And her won't. Yeah. <laughs> As we were. Um, uh, yeah. And so ends... Bigfoot and the Hendersons. I think we've we've given it a good summary with possibly a few yeah. diversions down various cul-de-sacs <laughs> that may or may not make the edit. But join us afterwards, um, for we shall then uh, analyse the film in further detail. Indeed. Welcome back, dear listener. Um, you will have uh, been regaled 
uh, of the story of um, Harry's journey um, and his uh, stay with the Hendersons um, by Hugh. Uh, I think we all enjoyed ourselves there, didn't we? Indeed, we did. We did. Yes. As we always do. As we always do. And um, as as befits um, tradition and the structure of the the podcast, the next section is a, a deep dive. Uh, as you're thinking, you mean that wasn't the deep dive? No. No, this is the deep dive where we talk um, about, first of all, why Hugh chose the film. It was Hugh's film um, and uh, a little bit about what we thought about. It. So, Hugh, to begin with, tell me, why did you choose Harry and the Hendersons? Why, thank you, James. Um, this, let's see now. I've been wanting to do a John Lithgow film since episode one, season one of Weekend at Crombies. <laughs> yes, uh, and again, if, if people don't know, obviously our inaugural edition of Weekend at Crombies was Santa Claus the movie with the fantastic John Lithgow. Our January episode. <laughs> uh, January episode, we might say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, that, yes, let's not forget that it was the January episode, Santa Claus the yes. movie. So having, one of the having, most having, depressing yeah. moments of my life. <laughs> Having seen that, having seen that performance, I wanted to you know, revisit it again. I think he's a fantastic actor. Um, Absolutely, he's uh, he's got a great range and a fantastic presence. So I thought, what 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 can I think of? And I I saw Bigfoot and the Hedersons as I knew it um, when I was uh, when it came out. So whatever age it was, it came out in eighty seven. So I would have been ten. Um, I, it was I do remember it because it was it was in the centre of Cardiff. We went to as a birthday party, a friend's birthday party. Don't recall the friend. Just recall the movie. <laughs> but it was a, uh, it was, it was one of those ones where the parents, they're braver than I am. They, they took a whole party of boys to oh, see, God. to see the movie. Um, imagine, can I'm you gonna, imagine such a thing? I'm going to say it was my friend Jamal. Um, but oh, wow, that sounds quite ethnic for Cardiff in the seventies. I, I wasn't in the seventies. How old do you think I am? <laughs> oh movie? yeah, sorry, I forgot. I wasn't dot. I was ten okay. years old. It was in the eighties. That sounds quite ethnic for Cardiff in the eighties. Indeed. Um, well, n- notwithstanding, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand by that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not just randomly plucking names to pretend I had friends. I was at a party. I did have friends. I was invited. It was just miss me in the movie theatre, <laughs> hanging around a different group, pretending I was there. But no, I remember seeing Big Fun Henderson. I also remember, and don't judge me. I I don't okay. have the American uh, the American um, you know pop culture i didn't actually know what bigfoot was well i, just, I yeah i don't think that's unusual i, I don't yeah. think i did either i i knew, I knew it was going we're going to see noun and the hendersons well this doesn't <laughs> sound like fun this doesn't sound this like is, i think that that uh that gives you a little insight into hugh where first of all he, he knew what a noun was at the age of 10 <laughs> <laughs> noun and the hendersons i would have gone who's noun <laughs> that's a stupid name <laughs> So it, to, to be honest, it um, it actually the fact that they changed the name of the title from Harry and the Hendersons so we'd know it was about Bigfoot. I didn't. So that moment when Bigfoot came down in front of the screen it was a big shocker for me. Um, so it really played well for me. Um, so yeah. uh, I saw it then and um, really enjoyed it because uh, it's, it's a good kids movie actually. Um, it is. And um, even even though they can, you can get away in the eighties with having things like John Lithgow screaming at a guy, "You were so scared shitless," and well, it it's just family yeah. entertainment, isn't it? I was thinking that as well, for, because it is effectively a children's film, right? Yeah, it's yeah. got a lot of swearing in it. Yeah, but in the 80s, they totally got away with that. I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, no, so I saw that. I think I saw it once more time on, on Home Rental, like a year or two later, and haven't seen it since, but obviously oh, it made okay. an indelible right. impression on me. Um, yeah. So that was the reason I picked it. It was it has a nostalgia kick, it has an actor I liked, and I I, I certainly remember Jack LaFleur. <laughs> 
<laughs> because I give being the eighties, we're all big fans of Poirot, and um, yeah, being 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 a kid, you don't quite make the connections that actors can play different parts. So no. for me, it was like Poirot's gone off the chain here, hasn't he? Well, always, always, I, I felt so, so yeah. What happened to Poirot? He's like, sort he's of half-drinking. <laughs> it's like this is Poirot, ten years on. Hastings has left him. Miss Lemon's not looking at him. mental health issues. <laughs> he doesn't solve crimes anymore. He just hunts things. He's like the Punisher. He just lives in the garbage. <laughs> so it's funny as well, because when... I don't know about you, but when I was young, um, you'd see um, British actors in American Hollywood films... There was a, had a I had a certain pride yes, thinking like, oh, like they've been promoted. <laughs> yes. You know, at work you get promoted. He's always oh, been promoted to an American film. You know, you think, come on, you've got you do well here, do really well. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of rooting for David Suchet to do well in Harry and the Hendersons Often and then to have a really don't. good kind of like a, a stateside career. It never really happened for no, him. No, but you know. It's a... They never do, you know the uh, no, the, the, no, the, the drop dead Fred moment when you think yeah. this is it. This is where everyone realises how funny Rick Mail is. And it <laughs> yeah, exactly, happen. and it doesn't work. Or true identity. True, right, true identity. You think, next oh, come on, this is going to be brilliant. And I mean, admittedly, actually, that's, having seen true choose the best vehicle, did he? For that. No, that was not good. It has, it, had, you know, it has one good gag in it. Go on. We're going off on one again. Because we're not going to do true identity. Lenny Henry is posing as a mafia hitman and meets uh, Frank Langella, who is the actual mafia hitman. And oh, they're yeah. kind of comparing guns. Lenny Henry being an act, he's playing the part of an actor who, of course, knows nothing about He's not like he's a British actor who knows nothing about guns. So he's asking, What kind of gun do you have? And he goes, Oh, I use, like he gives his, his uh, school year, I'll use like a, a Brixton 86. He goes, 86? The recall on that must be incredible. Oh, no, it's self coiling. <laughs> <laughs> and then like half an hour later in the movie when Franklin Geller has worked out who he is goes you know kid you had me fooled I actually went out looking for one of those brisk, self-coiling bricks from the 86s <laughs> yeah, that is quite good um, of course no. the, 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 the flip side to a film like True Identity uh, which I think is still very politically insensitive you could kind of get away with is Soul Man with C. Thomas Howell um, which I don't know if you've seen, I've but not. it's 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 where it's where the, the white guy uh, blacks up. It's not great. I've, I've, I've also, I haven't seen white chicks with the the way in brothers. Oh yeah, yet, but yeah. I have no intention of doing so. No, no, but anyway, that's not Harry and the Hendersons. That's not so. So that's the image I picked. It. Nostalgia. I saw it a long time ago. It had a cast I liked. I thought, let's go mm. for it. And you know, um, it's similar for me actually. I, I didn't see it at the cinema, but I certainly have seen it many times. So I made you. Well, yes, that's true. But I, 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 I've seen it. Um, I've seen this film so many times. Um, I, I, I could, I mean, double figures with this film now. I think. Um, and I remember watching it when I, uh, when I was, I don't know, when it would have come out on video. And again, you know, growing up, um, my mom, my dad, and myself, we used to watch used to have, um, film film nights on Thursdays. And so my mum would just basically pick any any video from the video store that she liked the cover of, which sometimes was great as like an 11 year old because you'd get some really kind of hardcore horror film, which is yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and I then occasionally you get things like Harry and the Hendersons, which was also quite good at the time. And I remember really enjoying it. Um, I must have seen it so many times within about like a, you know, a two to three year period. And I've not seen it since either. OK, very good. So, uh, easy pick, so let's discuss the themes of it. Uh, shall we hmm. begin? Yeah. Oh, but before we do that, I also want to emphasise just how much I like John Lithgow as an actor. Yeah. I, I think he's my favourite actor. Oh, um, really? Just because it, in this film, there is no reason at all for him to be putting in a shift. No, yeah, that's true. But he does, and he's brilliant in this. Um 
he's kind of like a he's like goofy and kind of physical comedy, but he's also a bloody good actor. Yeah, yeah. I think he's excellent. No, I'll I'll second that again. He, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, if, if you put yeah, the the conventional American, because that's all he needs to be is, is George Henderson needs to be the all American. He's an everyman, dad. isn't he? An everyman yeah. dad. Yeah. And yeah, yeah the, the the things he does on top of that. I mean, yeah. the, the the general panic is when he sees. I mean, there were when Harry is got him for the first time, and he's not attacking. He's just got him cornered, and little Ernie runs in going, "He's not dead." And John goes, yeah. "Not yet, I'm not." <laughs> and, uh, he's just great he's got like a Phil Cool kind of sensibility he's kind of facial rubberiness compared to Phil Cool <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that John Lithgow is a slightly better performer than Phil Cool <laughs> okay well I don't think uh, well, you've John also made Lithgow... a reference I think only two people will understand that's you and I and possibly Phil Cool would be the third one John Lithgow is not as good a rubber face as Phil Cool okay in all other facets of acting I'll, yeah. I'll take John Lithgow no, but he is good. You're right. He does put in a shift. He's 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 yeah. warm when he needs to be. He's moving when he's speaking. I'm mm. not going to lie. I was choked up at his his farewell to Harry. It, it, <laughs> it moved me. It was. This is the thing again. When when, uh, when I watched it, it's like when I watched it, you know, initially, I was yeah. I was you know, relating to Ernie. When you watch it now, you think I'm relating to George. Um, yeah. Because yeah. he he only wants to do right. Uh, of course he does. Yeah. But um, where to begin with this? I think I'll begin right. with the plot of it because that's okay. that's that's a good hook to hang on. Um, is this, this again? This, you know, quite famously became a sitcom afterwards. Which it was, did, yeah. Which wasn't quite a sequel. It was more a case of if Harry hadn't run away and they'd had mm. more fun with the Hendersons, what would it have looked like? Like an alternate reality, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And th- again, I can understand how because this almost feels like a pilot feature. Um, yeah. Because the setup is, is set up. You know, you get yeah. there and they get him home. But there's a real lag in the middle when you... you fa- I mean, yeah, it wasn't yeah, a short film. It's, it's two hours long. So it's, it's not, not like, short. It's not no, where it's would not you short. cut it or what would you fill in. Yeah. But it does feel like they go from the mystery, because they've got to set up the fact that they, they hit him and they get him in the house and they're a bit scared of him and then they accept him. And then he runs away. And I feel they wanted to do that to have, I guess, to have Bigfoot mainly. They wanted people to be scared of because they had to have Harry on mm. the run. But by taking him away mid-film, they remove a lot of what was building up in the film. It feels the, 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 the air is let out of the movie halfway yeah. through. Because... Yeah, and, and, and you're right, because you have a situation where effectively the trust that has been built up between Harry and, and the Hendersons yeah. happens in that first ten minutes. And, it's got and really that's quick, it. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, where the, the moment when George is, he, he leaps very quickly to let's take him home from having let's keep mm. him. And yeah. he's, he's telling Ernie, you know, he's, he's letting the, the tearful kid know, he's saying, you know, we, we've got to let him go. He's a person. You were the first one to see that, Ernie, but I see it now too. And it's like, George, two minutes ago, you were going to put him on the, the Tonight Show. It's like, yeah. you haven't made a leap. You, you have yeah. had no change. You're, you know, because having said that to Ernie, either he's a very, George is a very convincing liar and didn't think that, um, but if we assume it was a genuine change of heart, it, it, he then goes to the next mid of the film, continuing that change of heart. So he doesn't, actually, you know, he's, he's, there's no change in it. He he flips immediately. Harry runs away, and then he spends the middle part of the film not growing or changing, but in that situation of I miss Harry and I want him home. Yeah, he's profoundly in love with him, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's, he's it, it's it's gone from um, it's gone from that kind of initial oh okay yeah actually maybe we, we were wrong. He's he's a, he's a human being in many yeah. ways too, and and that's it for the rest of the film. And but also it, from it, a, was, yeah. it was it was. All, yeah, and from a practical point of view, you miss out on what's called the fun and games. There's a lot more comedy yeah, to be had from a Bigfoot in the house than they did. They they, you know, they played it for all it's worth in the, the short time he was with them. But there's yeah. lots more they could have done. Um, so, so the first, I'd say the first 20 minutes of the film 
is is the best part of the film yeah. when they when they're out in in the wilderness they run him over they bring him home and then he wrecks the house and it's their kind of initial interaction that that 20 minutes 25 minutes is really funny yeah it's a really good kind of physical gags in there yeah. it's really um warm it's it's a it's just it's really engaging as well and you know i think if the film had carried on in that vein it probably would be a. It wouldn't be a weekend at Crombie's film if that makes sense. It yeah, would be considered much, much more kind of um, as a classic. I think. Absolutely agree. Yeah, and it's it's. I can only assume from a plotting point of view they wanted the Bigfoot mania, but I think yeah, they could, but... I think they could have had Harry been sighted whilst yes. he was still with the Hendersons. He didn't exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. No, he didn't. And he didn't he, need to leave the Hendersons at all. George... He didn't need any. He didn't need any of his dad. Didn't need no, any of that. Nope. nope didn't need that at all. Um, it, de- it does actually flesh out why George has guns and is sensitive. That was the one explanation it is yeah. in there. Um, in fact, I, I remember I read the novelization of this film and they really played on that. The fact oh, that George was an artist and just got pressured into guns by his dad. Um, so I can see where the subtext was going with that. Maybe but, that but helps. They, but, but, but they could have they could have had his dad say, for example, instead of owning a shop full of guns, just coming round. And being a bit of a kind of like a, a, a Republican gun nut. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you see the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That would have worked too. Yeah, but so that yeah, wasn't that added stuff to it. Uh, I mean, as because George goes through the mid part of the movie researching Bigfoot and he talks to, to Wallace and this kind of stuff. <laughs> so he, he learns about Harry. He could have done that whilst he still had Harry because then Harry becomes yeah. a problem to solve. Whereas yes, at the moment, exactly. learning about Bigfoot doesn't help you find Harry. It just, no. you drive around the streets. And he drive, this is again, John's going to put in a shift. He drives around the streets in the end making a Bigfoot noise and that's what attracts yeah. Harry. He does this kind of like yeah. howl to the moon uh, in the way Angel Lithgow can. I've not been to Seattle before. I presume it's larger than three streets. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Fraser managed to get around it pretty quickly. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, so that that to me, plot wise, is what let the air out of the film and and disjointed it because they you know, the, the getting him home was okay. That that the, the getting him free was alright, being chased by Lafleur. But that mid part just felt like they'd there was nothing in the movie. There was, there was a it, lot of filler. Yeah, and didn't need to and it goes on for a long time as well. A lot of filler it, and not enough and so much wasted potential because you you yeah. want to see Harry with the Hendersons. You do, and it it doesn't do anything. It doesn't go anywhere. So it's like it's not funny enough. There's nothing really that's funny that happens apart from that scene when um. It, it's like George Hen, George Hen. That's quite a funny scene. But other than that, it it it's this. It's almost like the same five minutes over and over again. Yeah. George is moody. He's wistful. He wants to find Harry. He does a bit of research. George is moody. He's wistful. He wants to find Harry. He does a bit of research. Yeah. Ad infinitum. And it kind of until... gets the rest of the family out. You don't see. Well, yeah, you don't yeah. see any of them. Sarah is very underused for throughout the Very. whole film but completely yeah. in this bit Ernie, Ernie ceases really to become Ernie early on is like you know, he's Harry's Harry's his pet and he loves and him and you think they might go on an adventure together yeah yeah but um, they don't and then again um, Nancy also again is, is not really in it either um, but see that mm. to me I think is, is where the script falls down and actually where the, it let the film its biggest flaw is in there I agree with that I, I, I agree with that I think I think that the film has um I don't want to be too overly critical of the film because it is fundamentally a children's film, but I think it has another um, problem. I think from from what I gather, I think you might think slightly differently, but for, for me personally, the end went on for a long time as well. And it's way too long. There are way too many yeah. endings and um, it, it loses a lot of the impetus because again, it, there's a point where it should end yeah. and it, it doesn't need to end with, with George slapping um, Harry in the face. It could just end with go into the woods, and then maybe a little bit of kind of threat, perhaps. But it, that, I mean, that that final, it's about a final twenty-five minutes when they're in the woods, it is, when yeah. they're in 
you know, when they're in the wilderness and then they say goodbye and they say goodbye again. And then even even at the very end, there seems to be five or six kind of ending conversations. It's it's like it's like um is it like Zeno's uh Zeno's philosophy where you have that like if you if you halve five minutes you get two and a half minutes, right? If you halve two and a half minutes, you get half of two and a half minutes. If you half that you get half of that one that's gone previously. And you keep halving it and halving it and halving it till you get these tiny, tiny figures, but you never get to zero. <laughs> this is the point. It's like all these conversations are like slightly edging, creeping toward the end of the film, but it never got to the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're not wrong there. I think it, the ending, I mean, getting stuck on the freeway was a bit of false peril they didn't need. Um, again, yeah. I think I think rounding it with Jacques Lefleur, uh, yeah. okay. You don't it, get me wrong. You know, peril. I will yeah. say again, I mean, that was okay, but again, it didn't need so many endings to get there. They could have just, again, Jack Lefer could have caught them immediately and they could have wrapped it up like that and had a nice ending. Um, yeah, I don't think it was particularly necessary for George to do the fake out of we hate you, go away, no. and therefore, but again, Jonathan could played it very well. But um, yeah, one nice emotional ending would have sufficed. But I will say again, to bring that back to Lefleur is it's interesting that, again, the, um, the, the, the agents of peril from this is just Lafleur and Irene. That's the, those are the, yeah. the, the moment that mm. the, the, the government aren't after Harry. There's no, no real external pressure to get him away. It's one lone hunter and the neighbour finding out. And they got the two big things, obstacles they have to face. And again, and, and, and this, is, um, it, this is where it, it falls down and where there are unfair comparisons to a film like E.T., yeah. which works so much better I mean, I mean, they're incomparable, really, but but nevertheless, I'll do my best to compare it. <laughs> it works so much better because E.T. Okay, E.T.'s like the perfect um, template for this film, and really, Harry and the Hendersons should have just copied it, yeah. but with a Bigfoot, and that would have been absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, E.T. doesn't leave home. It's all about the issues and the shenanigans that go on at home. Yeah. The threat is genuine. It's from a government organisation. It's it's real. Yep. He's he's taken away, and they have to rescue him. Yeah. That, 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 you know, that's the perfect template. Do that. Do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, it did feel like they said, "Let's do ET," but with Bigfoot. But they didn't actually yeah. take what they needed for it. No, no. And you know, uh, I suppose Harry and the Hendersons is maybe going for a more light-hearted um, comedic. Because I like ET is 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 quite funny in parts, but it's. It's not a comedy, is it? I mean, it has comedic elements in it, but it's yeah. more of a, it's more of a kind of like a. Oh, it's got heart in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's got heart in it, and it's it's imagination, and it's kind of it's it's inspiration. Whereas Harry and the Hendersons, I think, probably should have just played as a straight comedy. Yeah. You know, and not much more pretension than that, but follow the template of E.T. to the T, really, to yeah. the T, because it doesn't need any more, and it would have been perfectly fine. Nope, that's fair enough in that. Um... Oh, well, sorry. I will again to to return to the again the, the way the characters treated. I thought just in the in the portrayal of you know the all American family, um, Nancy Henderson has an incredibly thankless role. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's it's basically her job to say everything that makes um, logical and moral sense, sense yeah. and sound like a complete whinge doing it. <laughs> I mean, literally, she is so unsympathetic because literally, it's like she um. That like she's um when they hit the when they hit the Bigfoot for the first time 
and they all wonder what to do about it. She basically says, if it's in pain and it's mortally wounded, you can't leave it to suffer. But it comes out as, oh, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. That is correct. (laughs) Right tick. Moral response. And it goes, oh, George, what if it's in pain? What if it's in suffering? It makes you want to leave it to suffer. Yes. And then when they realise it's a Bigfoot and they put it on the roof and George all kind of rubbing his hands together thinking how much money he's going, what if we've just rendered an entire species extinct? Which is a legitimate concern. (laughs) He's like, oh, it's worth more money then, isn't it? And, she, and and again at the very when she's um after the, they keep Bigfoot she's going look it needs to go home it doesn't belong here it needs to go back to it to its to a safe where it can be safe she's nagging she's nagging it comes again it comes across so whingy and I think it's not the actress's fault she's clearly told to play it that way because George is the dynamic um, exciting one with the plans and the crazy schemes and the stuff that does things and poor Mrs Henderson um just gets this this constant monotone of oh I'm going to spoil your fun with well, all the supposed, correct yeah. actions to do I suppose if we listen yeah. to her the film would be over very quickly because it would be yeah. I suppose but she's both the voice of reason and an utter dullard yes yes <laughs> which is really boring um, but but you know again though she could it could have been played differently in that regard if, so she, if, she could be the if, voice of reason but also also be up for the fun here's something what if Irene had been Mrs Henderson <laughs> yes well, exactly uh, yeah, that, that would have been very good. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because Irene is that character, right? Yeah, the real spot. Actually, there's another point where Sanderson. This is where they um, where you know, the, the, they really point the camera at the audience, saying, "Now we're going to make a point." This is where yeah. Harry is going to the house for the first <clears> time, and he's he first he buries the deer in the in the back garden, yeah. and then he finds a, a mink stole. Yes. And he takes it out to bury it too because he thinks he's found a dead animal. And Miss Sanderson is like. Um, don't look to the entire family look at it accusingly which will point out this is a family whose house is filled with dead animals on trophies yeah, and, whose, and, whose and, child Ernie at the age of eight has killed a rabbit yeah, apparently all three of them look at her accusingly when she finds a mink stole and she goes well I didn't kill the mink stole and grandma didn't kill the mink stole ranchers did it and the only reason they did it is because they knew someone would buy it and it's like I realise now that I'm culpable to it like, I don't think she would actually feel the accusing glances of her family at that point but that was a kind of look to camera saying and you see no one is pure yeah exactly you yeah. all eat burgers um, yeah. but, but yeah, that, that was so that's again that's what I got to say Mrs Henderson I, I think again Sarah that, the actress played Sarah actually she had some nice moments because she really disliked Bigfoot and there was so much again this is why it felt like a sitcom had we had I thought a, she was very good actually yeah had we had a dozen episodes of, of this in a sitcom where <clears> Sarah <throat> just didn't like Harry he never <laughs> has his charmed by him he thinks he's brilliant yeah. and she just hates him he's smelly and big and he gets in the way um and I think that would work very well. Um, well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a line in it which um, <laughs> I thought was quite funny, but perhaps not because of the way it was intended. There's a, there's a the line where she's talking to George and and, and she says basically, um, you know, he's really, um, he's he's really uh, stinky and you know he's a he's a stinky he's a stinky man. Yeah. And then George goes, oh, how do you know he's a man? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking she's going to go because he smells. Yes, so did right? I. But, but, but she doesn't. She goes, he's basically because he's got a massive cock. <laughs> She's a bit, she, again, it's got fair, a massive penis. In face of the actress, she doesn't say that. She just kind of crosses no. her eyes, crosses her arms, and, and nods ever so discreetly. Yeah. As in, and, and, and yeah, John Lithgow goes, oh, well, we won't mention that, will we? <laughs> but I'm thinking, it would have been funny if she just said, because he smells. <laughs> I don't know, I think, it's, I think it's quite funny that she's, she's discreetly mentioned not having seen Bigfoot's junk. <laughs> yeah, junk. Um, Ugh. Oh, I was yeah. that's the anatomically correct version to say it. Um, no. The word I think you're looking for is cock. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'll be edited out, it's fine. Do you think, I just found the bleep button. I get a little Ernie too is, is quite underused after the initial, because he's, he's a very you know, an all-American kid, he's got the big massive glasses and a goofy smile, and he says all the right things, and 
is like he's you know Sarah's gonna hurl. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was gonna be quite annoying at first. Yeah. But he he ended up not being, and it's probably because he was sidelined in the movie. He's not. It was wasn't like that kid in Speed Racer. No. That oh, was just oh, bloody oh, irritating all the way yes. through. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, may, no. maybe less of Ernie is more. Although he had some good. There's this moment of extreme tension at the beginning when we don't know it's a it's a it's a we think it might be a horror because it's portrayed that way, and George Henderson is creeping up on the creature he's just knocked over with his rifle. And it's all quite tense. And as he goes closer and closer, there's a scream from behind saying, shoot it! Yeah. <laughs> and he jumps and he goes through and he, it's dead. And then he goes, shoot it anyway! But this is why, this is, this is why, I mean, it's just fundamentally, it's disappointing, isn't it? Because all the things we're laughing at happened in the first 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah. They're all in that first 20, 25 minutes. If that carried on, this would have been a stone-cold 80s children's classic. Yeah. You know, it would be shown at Christmas every single year and it isn't and I think it isn't because it just loses its way totally poor script decisions poor plotting kind of uh, ten- there's no tension in it it loses everything as a consequence of that yeah I think you're right there can we talk a little bit about um, the the actual character of Harry himself and, and by that I mean the kind of the makeup and the kind of prosthetics and stuff yes because yes. it is impressive I was, I, that's my first note saying the practical effects and the costume yeah. hold up very very well they do, and they. I'll tell you why they hold up, right? Because they are practical effects. Yeah. They haven't dated because there's no digital, there's no visual effects in it. It is puppetry, and I think you know, whilst you know it's puppetry, it still looks like it's very technically accomplished. I mean, it won the Oscar for best makeup um, in 1988. So it's you know it was and it's Rick. Rick Baker, who's a very famous special effects and makeup artist. So I'm not surprised it's very good, but just the, the expressions in the face, because, you know, this is this is a man under a lot of makeup. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I assume it's it's like a, a radio-controlled head he's wearing. Yes. With yeah. The, the, with the eyes, yeah, last lab, were the eyes real or were they puppetized? Because they were they're real. No, they're, they're real. real. Yeah. Ah. So how do you Kevin get, Peter Hall is a tall man. Oh, he is. Well, he's seven foot five. I wow. Think. Yeah, so he's a very tall man. Um, uh... So yeah, he is, yeah. that's, that's, because I assume it was like, you know, that's with the, him, with, I thought it was that's like him the, in that suit. The Teenage Turtles who had prosthetic heads on top of their suits. So that's him with a lot, yeah. a lot of makeup on, because that's yeah, a yeah. lot of makeup. And, and he's saying that he, he, he was effectively just in the suit. Oh my and God. The, the, the head was, there was a lot of kind of animatronics in it and yeah. kind of prosthetics, but it was him in that suit, oh which God. I think is astonishing. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, all, I mean, he emotes well, I guess. Although even toward the end of the film, I found myself slightly irritated by his, by Harry's kind of consistent kind of um, whine. Not whining is the wrong word, but kind of whimpering. He whimpers a lot. Well, no, like, he's oh. in- Harry is incredibly naive. I know they're meant to say he's a gentle, he's a gentle creature. He's not, he, so Harry not being violent, I can buy into. I like the yeah, idea that Bigfoot is not, is, a, is not yeah. a violent creature. But he, for someone who has survived in a forest, <laughs> he's incredibly mm. dumb with the decisions that he makes. Um, for example, yeah, he like he bumps his head on the uh, on top of the the door and thinks if that was a cave he'd walked into, he wouldn't then try to make the cave bigger. <laughs> <But he'd laughs> he just that, bend over, wouldn't he? Yeah, he thinks I'll I'll wreck the door. Um, see, I, I thought um, I don't suppose if you've seen the uh, you probably haven't the movie Abominable that's come out this. Um, I haven't. I know of it. Inter- interesting again, also about well, um, children find a yeti and have to get it home. So there's some parallels there. It's actually played very well. <clears throat> but um, uh, the interesting thing they do with that is. Um, 
to get around the fact that they, you know, this, this creature needs their help is they realize very soon on that this enormous creature is in fact a baby abominable snowman ah. so he's he's helpless in the sense that he needs their gumption and things. even though he's strong and has magical yeah. snow powers yeah. he needs them to get through and I wish he thought well is that Harry but then we see at the end of the film there are baby abominable snowmen so it's not Harry Harry yeah. is a grown human yeah, human. yeah. Um, get, you know needs to be more savvy i guess and yeah. the thing is when you see him in these his natural habitat he isn't much more savvy no it's the thing so i guess he? he doesn't seem much yeah. more savvy just, i'm amazed he survived well i think in the world of the film harry's an idiot amongst the bundle snowman that's 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 how he got run over in the first place is that all <laughs> yeah. the other sasquatch are going oh my god it's harry isn't it he's, he's done it again what's he done now that's a film i'd quite like to see as well <laughs> harry the idiot yeah. <laughs> I have the same theory about um, Manuel in Faulty Towers that we assume that Manuel is struggling because he can't speak the language but I think if he was in his native Spanish all the other Spaniards would think God Manuel's an idiot yeah <laughs> and I think that's the same with Harry Harry is not Harry is not a, a gentle innocent he's just a moron who's he's also, just a moron also yeah, a is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and the, the, yeah, you, it doesn't matter who you are what kind of animal you are you can still be a moron <laughs> yeah. you can still be a moron <laughs> <laughs> that notwithstanding, I, I didn't. Um, again, I'd, again, kind of bad thing. I'd like to have seen more of Harry with the Hendersons. You see him initially, and he spends his time just like hiding out, like like you know, Phantom of the Opera in you know in the garbage cans and not interacting. Even the even the sightings of Bigfoot generally happen off screen, and we hear about them. Yeah, um, but the little touches, yeah. like that he puts unconscious people on cars. I love that. I love that notion. Um, it's good. It's yeah. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. And, and ten, you know, ten times that would have worked. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we, we get, don't get not enough of it. No, we don't. No, and um, in some respects, because um, I, I remember watching the um, the sitcom that, that followed this, because yeah. um, it was on, you know, it was on Kelly. like I, BBC Two or ITV or something like that when, in, in the early nineties. On ITV, I think I'm going to say. Oh, was it was ITV. Yeah. And I remember quite quite enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, but but it works because it's it's the good premise. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's, and I didn't realise there was like seventy-five episodes. Really? It, yeah, it went on. It was three seasons, each of about twenty, twenty-five episodes. So it went on for a long time. So it was quite popular, and I can see why. And as you say, the um, the premise of Harry and the Hendersons sets up perfectly as a pilot. Um, and I think that as a half-hour or twenty-five-minute sitcom, there's probably just enough material for it to be worthwhile yeah. stretched and it is stretched out stretched out to film length and i think you said it it's not a short film yeah. you know it's touching two hours yeah um there's not enough in it they're trying to think of things that he does whereas actually you know cut out you could probably you could cut out half an hour of the film and just focus it on the home um a chase perhaps and then a release yeah that will yeah. do yeah and you know that's that's 90 minutes 85 minutes really tight um, and it's perfect. That would work. That would work very well. It would work very well. Where's that yeah. time machine? We can we can, we can turn well, this around. Yeah. <laughs> but Although, yeah, like, uh, to look on a film thing, I do. I remember seeing a, again a video essay um, a while back saying a, a film is created three times: once in the script, once in yeah. the shoot, and once in the edit. In the edit, and, yeah, and exactly. They 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 failed their third pass. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, obviously, I'm not a I'm not a filmmaker, but um, y- y- I I find that third aspect you make the film three times the third one being in the edit very interesting because um 
I've seen versions of films that have two different edits to them, and they are to- they can be totally different films. Yeah. Um, so the, the one that I'm thinking of at the top of my head is The Exorcist 3, which, which when it was released was basically chopped up by the studios and didn't really do much. And then it's been re-released... Um, by the uh, by, the director who also wrote the Exorcist, William Peter Blatty, as what he intended it to be. Okay. It's a to- totally different film. You know, some of the s- the scenes are very similar. Yeah. But they've they've restructured the music's different. It's just a very different film, and it's very interesting when you see that. I think. Um, so the edit, I think the edit in this plays a big role in in how kind of uh, in the end uh, that it's not it's not as satisfying as it could be to take a slightly more famous example in Exorcist 3 I saw one on how Star Wars was remade in the edit and it was oh, really? it was remade in an incredible extent in the edit to the point where you watch what the original shooting order was with the same scenes and everything yeah. the shooting order of the, the film and it it puts tension in the wrong places it puts does it, does it, it, it's, it's interesting isn't it it, was, it really was made in the edit and again that was George Lucas and his wife uh, yeah. jointly put it together but my goodness it does matter and, and that's why you often get um, director editor kind of um, duos working together again and again and again yeah. because they have like um, Scorsese and Thelma Schoen, Schoenmaker are they, they, they work you know, they work on films together basically because Scorsese has the vision um, and Shoemaker does the, the she makes it into a film yeah. if that makes sense yeah. he has the vision she makes it into a film there we have it any other films you'd recommend ah to do with this I mean you're thinking about those kind of mid 80s things you talk about you know batteries not included yeah, yeah, it's, ET yeah, it's very one. similar isn't it it's, yeah. it's that yeah, the the external alien presence comes into a suburban reality and, and changes their lives in a touching way, and there's some kind of peril at the end. Yeah, they're very. I mean, there's a spectrum of those films, isn't there? Yeah. At, at, at the one level, at the the short um, circuits, another one. Short yes, uh, yeah. The um, the uh, zenith is ET. Yes. At one end, and at the other end, than it is probably something like Mac and Me, which is <laughs> a, a, a terrible film, or or um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're all, all I'm a ghost short dad. Too. Short circuit or ghost dad yeah. with um, what's his name, um, Bill Cosby. You know, so it, 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 I would say that has not aged well for a number of reasons. <laughs> no, exactly, no. So, and this probably falls somewhere in the middle. You, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not terrible, yeah. um, but it doesn't quite hit the heights of ET. What's interesting about that ET comparison though is that this was made by Amblin Entertainment. Oh, really? Which is obviously Steven Spielberg's um, production company. So it's it it's very odd, and Spielberg was a, a producer of the film. Can I make a confession that might get Go me on. thrown off this film oh, podcast? Oh, 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 no. uh, <laughs> I I think I've seen ET once, and I've no wish to watch it again. Okay, so let's let's if we're doing confessions. Okay, it's just not my cup of tea, or yeah, indeed no. my tablet of E. <laughs> I have seen ET, the grandson. Um, of once <laughs> as well. <laughs> now I like it more than you clearly, um, but I can't watch it because when I watched it, I literally had a breakdown. I was, <laughs> I remember watching it. I, I must have been about. I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't young, young. I must have been like thirteen or fourteen, and I remember watching it with my mum and dad, and just I couldn't cope. I couldn't cope with it, and I, I feel. I, I, I feel. I remember feeling embarrassed 
by how much I was crying. <laughs> so I can't watch it. I daren't watch it again. I watch but it again. I, I appreciate that it's a it's a it's it's a classic of the canon. Yeah, I mean, again, I've seen again, I've seen essays on on how well it's it's put together and shot and thing. Mm. And I just again, as with the, with the age I was when I watched it, I did not engage it. Maybe I was I had again, I was a kid with a head full of Star Wars, and it just wasn't alien enough for me. And like, I remember seeing Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and thinking, "This is an alien film. It's like all he yeah. does is mess around mashed potatoes." Yeah, uh, and actually, I've got to say, I'm not a massive fan of um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind either. I've seen that once. And was Finnegan, Spielberg, I was a bit bored by it. Spielberg has stepped back from that as a concept because um, he's now saying, as a father, I can't condone the, act, the character of Richard Dreyfuss anymore. Yeah, no, exactly. No, no dad would, would he, just leave his he kids abandons to, go, them, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. to go joyriding with aliens. Um, Melinda Dillon, who played Nancy in Harry and the Henson, plays the wife in um, Close Encounters of the Kind. Does she? Oh, my goodness. Yes. So, so <laughs> again, and again, she plays a bit of a, a kind of wet sop, basically. Melinda Dillon. But, but, the, but you see, part of that, that's why I find Harry and the Henson's in, interesting in that regard, because it is, it's soaked in yeah. that. It's realize. soaked in that Spielbergian... Um, kind of era. Yeah. It's got Spielberg as a producer. It's done by Amblin Entertainment, and um, it doesn't quite have that Spielberg magic. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. was the director of it? Is anyone we know? Uh, William Deere, who I've never heard of. Okay. Other other than this, although looking at his filmography, um, just trying to think if there's anything else I've seen of his. No, nothing. Uh, he's done quite a lot, but no, nothing that I really am aware of. Okay. Um, the Perfect Game, Baseball, If Looks Could Kill, Wild America, Angels in the Outfield. It's got Danny Glover in it. Notwithstanding, no. I don't think he had a very successful career. No. Well, he made no. films that successful enough, but... Uh, well, yeah, he did. He did. I'm he sure did. he kept working. That's the important thing. Yeah, he did. He did. Let's not, let's not uh, dismiss the deer. No. Uh, the other thing I want you to mention as well that um, Kevin Peter was quite a tragic figure as well because oh um, don't tell me this oh yeah this yeah uh, so um, he died during the filming of the first series of um, Harry and the Hendersons oh my goodness and actually when he was filming um, Harry and the Hendersons the film he uh, revealed that he was HIV positive and died of uh, AIDS-related pneumonia. But he he died, uh, he was in a car accident, and he had a blood transfusion. And it was the blood transfusion where he got um, HIV. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So um, he was 35, I think. No. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I wonder what other um, monster movies we didn't get um, because he wasn't around. That is true. Although, again... Uh... Having having thought that, you know, when, uh, shortly after he left the stage, we entered the age of CGI in Jurassic Park, and maybe True. it would have been like a Norman Desmond thing when sound came in, and all of a sudden yeah. there was no place for. No, I'm saying he was a good job he died, but yeah. maybe he had his. He had, maybe he had he had his. He had <laughs> just his, to be clear, <laughs> I, I'm not. That is very sad what you just said, but you know, maybe his best years were his best years because it yeah, was maybe. when we when we needed you know you needed to put a big suit on a big guy and. Uh, because you know, the, uh... well, well, you never know. It, might, it, you know, it, it might have gone down the Andy Circus road, where he would have become a pioneer of of um, uh, kind of digital human interaction and, and kind of characterisation in that regard. In which case, it's even more tragic. That is more tragic. <laughs> Although we weren't quite there yet. We, weren't, we couldn't no, got motion not capture. Quite. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Although yeah. yes, it's a uh, that is very sad. Again, actually, given that yeah, given they do practical effects, he could have been a great velociraptor. Um, could have been sad loss. That is that is very sad. You've, you've brought us all down, James. Hope you're happy. Well, um, 
I know a way of bringing this all back up again um, by starting the final part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Before we do that, is there anything you would like to add to uh, Harry and De Henderson's? No, I think we've covered it exhaustively. How about yourself? Yeah, well, that's so good. I, uh, no, I, I think we've covered it. I, I don't feel that we've given enough love to John Lithgow, but... It's, it's, uh, you know, yeah. that's fine. Well, let's just put the marker down then. He puts in a great performance and it's worth the watch for him alone. Yeah, I think so. I think, the, again, John Lithgow's first 25 minutes yeah. in Harry and the Hendersons is is peak John Lithgow. Yeah, and I did a passable John Lithgow impression when I said Irene. So, you know, we can't say <laughs> we've, we've not given the man his due homage. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. You did. And maybe, maybe we'll get a few more um, John Lithgow impressions in the future and a few less... Anthony Hopkins impression. <laughs> you shall not lure me. But I tell you what, you, th- you think about what a good script is. If the if the the neighbour's name had been Margaret, it's not as funny. Do you think John Lithgow, you know, had some <laughs> yes, input? Because because when you see Irene, yeah. there's, there's a real delivery in that, and you can't get that with every single name. So I wonder. It's got to be, it's got to be Irene, hasn't it? It's got to be Irene. You yeah. know, it, it, Margot wouldn't have worked. It's. You, you, <laughs> No. It's, the, oh, the thing is also we don't know who Irene is at this point we, we, they haven't mentioned oh we'll no, get the she's dog off she's not been on she's no, been on screen no one's she? mentioned we'll get the neighbour off Irene we'll get the dog off Irene the neighbour no one's in, in Irene's dog sitting this, he just picks up the phone and goes it's Irene <laughs> and, it's, and it, Irene could be anybody or anything and it's, 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 it's this delivery puts the whole house on action stations it's wonderful it is very very good with better right. words he can change the nature of a scene but that, I think now, uh, now it's time to move on, and we uh, we'll have a little jingle, and then we'll have some scores. Welcome back, dear listener, uh, to uh, the final part of Volume Two, Episode Eleven of um, Weekend at Crombie's, the Harry and the Hendersons Extravaganza. Um, so this is the point at which we reveal our scores for the film. Um, and I believe it is, um, is it me that goes first or is it you, Hugh? I can never remember this. It is I. Ah, okay, so it's you that goes first. So, Hugh, reveal your scores for um, Harry and Henderson's. My scores. Uh, as is not uncommon, this, my score has been affected by our conversation. Um, I, My take on Harry, I found it, the funny bits I found funny. I was entertained for two hours it wasn't apart from bits we've mentioned before where it did lag heavily in the middle it i didn't i wasn't like completely restless in my seat it was all something to keep me occupied and the moving parts i did find sufficiently moving um for all that we've talked about its flaws quite evidently it it's it flops pretty hard after the first 20 minutes and it takes a long time to exit the stage so you're basically watching it for a decent premise um some very good practical effects and a great central performance and that I think has just about rounded it down to two out of five two floating crombie heads out of five for me okay um I think I think that's a, a fair assessment of the film from my perspective um I can't really disagree with with anything I, I think that after the first 15 to 20 to 25 minutes I guess let's be fair 25 minutes I was thinking oh I you know actually I, I don't remember this being as good as as this, and I was I was thoroughly invested in it, and then um, and then it 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 just fell apart a little bit, which is a real shame. Um, I think it's got a lot going for it, but it, it, in in the end, it's frustratingly long and frustratingly 
it lacks a lot of focus in it. And I think on that basis, I'm also going to give it two disembodied Crombie heads. So a combined total of four disembodied Crombie heads for Harry and the Henderson. We are in agreement. We are, we are indeed. I think I was, I don't think I was ever going to give it three. Um, but, you know, it's not a terrible film. Um, but I just think for, for a children's film, it's too long and it doesn't do enough. Um, great sitcom, though. Yes, indeed. And very, very successful, actually, I think, as well. It's, it took a lot in the box office. Did it? It did. So we haven't mentioned this, actually, which we should have. Yeah. So we're going back into the analysis a little bit. It was. It cost $10 million to make, and it made 50. Okay. Five zero. So it, it, was a, it was a big box office hit. Oh, I assumed, given, the, again, the change of advertising and title, it had to do some quick fancy footwork because it didn't have a big hit, but it clearly was, did okay. It did. It did. But, you know, enough of Harry and the Hensons. That's consigned to the scrap heap of Weekend at Crombie's history now. And we move now on to the um, film for you to watch this weekend, uh, Volume 2, Episode 12, the December episode of Weekend at Crombie's. It's my choice. And um, I am going to uh, choose a film um, different to Harry and the Hensons, obviously. It's a film called Outland. Outland, starring Sean Connery. Ooh. Indeed. And let's leave it at that, shall we? Let's just leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. It's Outland. It's got Sean Connery in it. Enjoy your weekend at Crombie's, where you can watch that. Enjoy. Okay. And with that, we shall bid you all a very pleasant... (laughs) Sorry, you were trying to sign off then, weren't you? But I have... No, no, no. Uh, I was. I See, you, you, you were racing ahead before I had time to consider my Sean Connery impression, but I've got oh, a whole no. month to work on it. Uh, yeah, well, I know. I, I, will, I will also say to our viewers, I know you may be excited at the prospect of Outland. Don't all go off and hire it from your video rental place of choice, because we have real problems sourcing yeah, we, we, movies. We, have, we do. Yes, we yeah. do. Well, uh, I know. I mean, I don't know how many people listen to this podcast and then rent the films or stream. I think we just cause a, a panic, but uh, yeah. Yeah, this, Harry and Hissons was particularly difficult to get hold of, but we <laughs> managed Harry it. And Henderson. Oh, yeah, we, 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 we managed. We yeah, managed. we, we managed. But through the application of paying money to a service to give us the, the movie. <laughs> oh, and that's capitalism, isn't it? Indeed. That's disaster capitalism for you. Absolutely. But with that... We should wish. We should wish you. I was about to, I was about to say, give us money. <laughs> but we'll just wait until we have our sponsorship. Maybe, so, yeah, Patreon. Yeah, Patreon. Yes. Subscription. Yes. We get six pounds a month. All of our listeners. <laughs> that'd do. That'd do. That'd cover the cost. It of would that. be enough to pay for the streaming costs of the film. Yeah. Indeed. But uh, we, we will remain unmonetized, so we can remain independent. <laughs> so you is, that what, is that what it's called? <laughs> so you can believe that every, every floating crumb we had we give is justly given, um, with the possible exception of Dance in the Dark and Independence should have had less. Yeah. Some call us independent, others call us unloved. <laughs> <laughs> we shall leave you then unloved and independent uh, to enjoy your weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. I hope you didn't hear me pass wind then. I didn't know. <laughs> I crept out <laughs> unexpectedly. <laughs> just to, it was just as you said, if I can find the off button. And I thought, oh crikey, I thought you'd gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's going to be in the final edit. <laughs> uh, no, but this may well be.